0: I think I told you last time we met together that I purposely avoid trying to find out what the other speaker is going to say. Because if I believe God is leading us, he doesn't want me interfering. Well, my subject covered very much the same ground that our brother Sherry covered. Character of ministry began to come out. But you say, where's the dish coming? We have this treasure (laughs) in earthen vessels. So as long as I'm a dish of that character, I'm an honoured person. Well now, we sang a hymn, I think, and it spoke about the Ebenezer, didn't it? That's another thing that we have in this meeting. The word Eben is the word stone. Ezer means Salvation. And if ever you're in the British Museum and you find the Moabite stone, you will find an actual, literal stone of salvation offered to Kemosh, the god of the king of Moab. It's a literal one. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy hope I've come. Well, I can say that, can't I? In 1909, by the grace of God, I put pen to paper, and started very timidly to try to interest my fellow believers in the wonderful dispensation of truth that had been opened to me. And the first little magazine with eight pages, much smaller than the one we have now, and it was issued at one penny. And now we have a ministry that is represented here in this gathering from quite a number of different places. But now the tape ministry has also been added to it. We have a ministry that goes into every part of the English-speaking world. And the first thing that I want to say to you is this. I had a wonderful feeling, a very humbling feeling. I had a message sent to me from America complimenting me on having reached my 300th tape recording. And then I said to, to the wife, I said, you know, to the bulk of that people, I'm just a voice. Just a voice. Then I pulled myself up. I'm a dish. The Lord puts the meat or the whatever it is in it. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, I read in the beginning was the Word. And in the first chapter of John's Gospel, John the Baptist says, I'm a voice. That's exactly what ministry is. A word, if it's never written, spoken or acted, is inoperative. And Christ is the word. But he chose apostles. And God, who is almighty and all-powerful, says, how shall they believe without a preacher? Well, if anybody could do without preachers, it's God. But he doesn't. He stoops. And as the psalmist said, his gentleness or his condescension has made us great. So our subject is practically the same as our brother sharing this afternoon. I first of all thought that the subject that he was going to speak on or I was going to hear was sharing. Because I think either our chairman or the other speaker keeps stressing the word fellowship was sharing. And here he was sitting here. His name is sharing. Only it's not spelt with an A. But I was wrong there. But I wasn't wrong when I began to hear. Here it comes, here it comes, an evidence that God is with us. He speaks about the ministry. He gives its character. He said another thing. He said about the ascended Christ. Now I've got to speak a little bit about the descended Christ. He that ascended is the same but also descended to the lower parts of the earth. And if he'd never descended, there would have been no fullness of him that fitted all in all. All the coming down is a very great element if it's in the right spirit. No trucking to anybody. But he is the one who tells us. And we are the ones who obey. So Christ himself, you see, is the great example. Paul is a pattern. But you remember he said, you be followers of me as I follow Christ. That is God's wonderful way of preventing us from saying, oh, not one of us could ever think of following Christ. No, he said, but I've given you a pattern. Follow Paul as he follows Christ. As he wrote to his son Timothy, you have been a follower of my doctrine, purpose, manner of life. That was a bit of saying, friends somebody closely associated with you for many years, and you draw their attention, not to your doctrine only, but your manner of life. So Christ descended, and he has set the pattern. He said, the Son of Man came not to minister, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus, knowing that he came from God, and went to God. Notice this preface, will you? It stresses that he knew he was going to ascend to the right hand of the Majesty on high. Knowing that, what did he do? He rose from supper. He divested himself of his clothing, partly. He took a towel and girded himself, and began to wash the disciples' feet. That's the Saviour. That's ministry. We sometimes stress the word minister unduly. As I said in the big house, the minister knocks at the door and the servant girl with a pretty cap doesn't open it. That's two ministers looking at each other. For the word minister simply means a servant. Only it's a bit grandiose. So we Evidently, God intends that we should have our thoughts directed in these meetings to this question of ministry. And some of the passages that our brother uh, introduced i have already got down in front of me. Well, this is not vain repetition. There is such a thing, you know, as a double knock, and some people have said you go to the door quicker when there's two knocks. So, if anyone was half asleep this afternoon... (laughs) I can't conceive of anybody being half asleep after we had a chairman as we had tonight. (laughs) You'll get it too, you see. Now, one of the things, one of the things that I think we want to be fairly clear about is this. Now, when I was away on holiday once and just happened to speak in a little gathering, the lady looked at me and she says, You're not an ordained man. I said, "Uh, Your minister is, isn't he? Oh, yes. He goes right back to Peter. Hands have been laid on, you know. I said, Peter's no good to me. You read Galatians 2. The Apostle said, Peter, somebody's or someones when they stand in the way of the Gospel. Paul said, when I was converted, I went not to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before me, I went into Arabia. Then I said, here's a point. Right back in the days of King James, in whose reign the authorised version was given. The bishops were very stressed. James wanted the bishops to support the throne, and that is the reason why I believe in the authorised version they didn't dare translate a passage that I'd like you to look and see for yourself. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. <coughs> I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That word addicted is the word which is translated ordained. So I could tell this lady, nobody ordained me. I ordained myself. What a shocking thing to say. I said, it was laid upon me, whatever anybody thought or said, it was laid upon me to take up this witness, come what may. So I would ordain men, as these were. They didn't need any interposition of anybody to make it valid. Only one, and that was the Lord himself, laid it upon their hearts and they went forward with that witness. So this evening I can say here we raise our Ebenezer. The year 1909 saw the first copy of the Brienne Expositor and now I can't take 1909 from 1964 that baffles me but it's a long time anyhow. And here we have a little group of God's people. And one of the friends said to me, I wonder how many places you would find a group like this in a meeting. All having fellowship so happily, loyally with one another, all brought together by one supreme thought of maintaining this supreme witness. And then with regard to the question of ministry, we have the passage before us this afternoon. It's a committal, a committal, a committal from the Lord, a committal from the Apostle Paul and a committal to everybody else who's in the same line. (coughs) Let's refresh ourselves again of that thought, shall we, in the um, epistle to Timothy. That is the 2nd Timothy. He's speaking about himself as a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that. Now, our brother Schelling corrected the authorized version here. You know, there's a hymn that's lustily sung in missions. It's in Sanky's I know whom I have believed and. Everybody feels that the Apostle said he's committed his soul into the keeping of the Lord until that day. Well, there's no such thing here. This is something that was committed to the Apostle Paul, and he says, and they're persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been committed. And he goes on to say, verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto you, So here we have something, friends, that's committed to us. We don't take it up because it's interesting. It is, intensely. We don't take it up because it's a profitable business. Now, Mr. Canning tells you what marvellous juggling there is with balances here and bits here and donations there to make ends meet. But we have to stop for a minute and correct ourselves and say, isn't it marvellous we have made ends meet? by the good hand of God and the good hand of so many of his children helping us. But that's by the way. I may be a dish, but I'm no beggar. So it says here. This is a committal. Now, in the next chapter, verse 2, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Notice how the Apostle sort of safeguards it. Among many witnesses. This man could have dictated He was an apostle of the Lord. But he says to Timothy, among many witnesses, safeguarding it. The same commit thou to faithful men. Commit thou. Commit thou. And while we would say, by all means get all the education you can, all the languages you can master, all the degrees that are going, but whatever you do, Don't forget to put faithfulness first, for all the rest of it can be a betrayal. Faithful men who should be able to teach others also. That is this about it that God never lays upon anybody's conscience a work to do that they are totally unfitted to do. I'm sure that if I had to stand in this pulpit and give you an account of the financial state of affairs, you'd wonder we hadn't gone bankrupt years ago. For I have a marvellous facility of being able to add up a column of figures and make it different every time. But it's never been entrusted to me. He gives to every man according to his several ability. So i go to another verse we had our attention drawn. The members of the body. He one, performing its own function. And even to this day, some are not quite sure what that organ in the body is actually doing. They're beginning to get deeper and deeper into the marvel and mystery of this body of ours. But each one is doing his piece. And the I says the scripture, cannot look upon the hand and say, I have no need of thee. I have a little play on words. When I spoke to a friend recently, I said, if you said to me, you know, I was transported by your message this morning, I should come back to you and say, and if Mr. or Miss so-and-so didn't transport me here, you wouldn't have heard the message. What's the pulpit up here if, if I can't get here? So, you see, each one of us has a place, and maybe be grateful to think that he's allotted it so. That, like members of the body, we all serve, not only one another, but together serve him. I came across a piece I was reading, and I just thought I would read it to you. It struck me as a little parallel. It was a book called Creative Personality, and it said, The greatness and glory of human life is this that it is possible for a man to tie up his life to matters of such moment, to human progress, that he leaves the race under obligation to continue and to realise his ideal. Well, I took out my pen and I wrote it again. The greatness and the glory of the witness we are celebrating this evening is tied up with matters of such moment to the cause of truth rightly divided and consequently to the revelation of the mystery entrusted to Paul as the prisoner of Jesus Christ, that it leaves all who rejoice in this revelation under an obligation to continue and to realize the ideal aimed at 15 years ago. We are here, friends, because this is a movement, and a movement that has been dedicated to making known this marvellous revelation of truth. Some people shy at the word mystery. There's nothing mysterious about it. We don't turn the lights out. It's a secret. It was hid in God. It was hidden away from the generations and the ages. And nobody, however astute they may be, could ever find it in the Old Testament but it was never there. But when the fullness of time came, the Apostle Paul put into prison by the enemy of truth, receive the greatest revelation that the Bible contains, that poor outside Gentiles should be so blessed that their hope is not merely to be in Palestine, not merely to be in the heavenly Jerusalem, but to be where Christ sits at the right hand of God, far above all. And then would you believe it? Some person will say, we are robbing them. That's good robbery, isn't it? They wouldn't say they were being robbed if those things were theirs in comparison to somebody else in earthly things. You're not being robbed. I sometimes think, oh dear, I have a paper sent to me, meetings are arranged to consider the second coming of Christ and sure enough, Matthew 24. Well, Matthew 24 speaks of the second coming of Christ. But it also says, when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, so I write back in the days to do with the kingdom and the conditions of things on the earth. But my scripture says, set your affection on things above. Not on the earth, but where Christ sitteth, at the right hand of God." That when Christ, who is your life, should be made manifest, you should be manifest with him in glory. Now we come back again. He that descended is the one that ascended. And in Philippians 2, it's the same story. He who originally, of his own right, being in the form of God, our version says, made himself of no reputation. It's simpler than that, but more wonderful. He emptied himself. It's given rise to what they call the kenosis theory. And they say that Christ so emptied himself that he didn't know anything more about the Bible than the peasants with whom he lived. So we mustn't take his account for it. Have you met that? Well, you look at the last verse of Luke's Gospel. And he says in the last verse of Luke's Gospel, or the last chapter, I'm sorry, he says, What I said unto you earlier, I say unto you now, that all things that are written in Moses and the Prophets, and the Psalms concerning thee must be fulfilled. So he says, I endorse all that I said about the Scriptures, and now is the risen Christ. Did the risen Christ not know whether Moses wrote Genesis? You see, you can't make it, can you? And if my Saviour didn't know who the author of Genesis was, I don't think I could be trusted to put all my faith in him for my eternal salvation. I hope you wouldn't there's no doubt about it that he endorsed this book from beginning unto the end and fulfilled all that was written for him. So the thought that was in my mind about this gathering is here we are. We're standing for a system of truth and the days are closing in upon us. It's evident that the age is running to its culminating point. The pressure is growing I wonder whether it's going to last. I wonder whether it's going to stand. I wonder whether it's going to be crushed out of existence. I wonder whether it's going to falter. So I thought about the character of service. And then our brother Shering took all the old lot out of my mouth and said it this afternoon. Isn't that good? It looks as though that's what God says to you and to me. We have one commodity in this business. Ministry. Got nothing else? Oh, I know you had some sandwiches, at least, I hope you did. Uh, That was just by the way. But our one great point is the ministry of the world, rightly divided. And, let us add this proviso. We never preach that dispensational truth died for us. Dispensational truth has only got value to us, because it puts Christ in his proper place. Central, fundamental, and without possibility of copia. I would suggest sometimes when you're speaking to a person who is not acquainted with us, you never use the word dispensational truth. You don't say right division. You know, the boy was asked by his uncle, they've got a cake on the table, he said, Would you like the first cut? He says, Yes, uncle. But well, he got nothing. First cut's nothing. <laughs> it's the cake that matters. You rightly divide the word of truth. Not right division. That's only a principle. As I've written that little booklet to try to help some who have the Bible class and problems, I said, Don't say dispensational truth because they've been warned. That's a shocking thing. Just say, What is the subject? and who is addressed and when would it take place and where would it operate. And by the time you've done those four, a little Bible class has got any gumption at all, we'll be rightly dividing the word of truth without knowing it. It's like the man is in Mollier's play who came into a fortune and got someone to teach him polite mode of living, and then he spoke about poetry and prose he said have I been speaking prose all my life and didn't know it well you see you can get folks like that but here it is so in connection with this, with this subject the trust that we have here I just want to be sure because my memory plays me tricks lately friends and uh, yours will too presently so it's alright Most of you know that the word dispensation gives us also the word steward. Oikonomos, oikonomia, they're both words that are built up of the word house and management. Now today we have economy is the word oikonomia, come over from the Greek, but pronounced a little differently. And economy doesn't doesn't mean cheese pairing, it means wise spending. And the word steward was originally written "sty ward. And the sty now has degenerated to the where the pig lives, but it meant a farm. So a sty ward, or a steward, who had a dispensation, was the farm bailiff. And so in Luke 16, the farm bailiff has to give an account of his stewardship. And knowing that he had been cheating his master, he started saying, write down 60, write down 50, But it is required in stewards, friends. It is required in stewards that you be not popular, that you be not learned. Oh, it's good to be popular in the right sense and learned in the right sense, but it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. There's nothing can take its place Faithful to the truth entrusted. And that's the thing that's in my mind. Oh Lord. So long as this witness goes on, however great the pressure may grow, or may it be that those of you who are stewards, however simple and humble it may be, may you be found faithful. I wasn't sure I should ever stand in this pulpit again. But it so turns out, that although for two years I've been going to hospital, and I don't know what, I've turned up on the May meeting and the September meeting each time. And now, I'm not even perched on a stool, you notice, in this pulpit. That was very uncomfortable, but it took the weight off for a bit. So whether I've got a new lease of life or not, I don't know. But I do know this, that as long as breath is given me, by the mercy of God, I hope I shall stand whatever the pressure, whatever the criticism, faithful. That's the only character that matters with regard to a steward. So that the word then gives us the word dispensation. Oikonomia, oikonomos. And a dispensation is something which is individual in the way it is used when we speak of dispensational truth. That is to say, we differentiate between the earth and the new Jerusalem and where Christ sits as a sphere of blessing. We differentiate between the character of blessings. In the Old Testament, if they kept the law of Moses, they would be blessed in basket and in store. But our blessings are all spiritual. They're not basket and store. It doesn't follow that the person in this meeting has got the biggest gold Jane is the most faithful steward. Not now, it might have done once. Don't all look, friends. <laughs> you see? So here it is. It is required in stewards that they may be found faithful, and that is dispensational truth. Faithful to the section that God has given you. You don't ride roughshod over other folks. As the apostle has said, be gentle unto all men. Be gentle. And do remember this, friends, that no one can gate-crash into the calling of Ephesians. You can't add one single soul by all your teaching. You can only be prepared to answer or to point the way. And the rest is known to God for the very forefront of this calling is that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That doesn't shut a person out from salvation pure and simple. But it does mean to say that God knows before we start the members of the body of Christ, no hazard with him, and what favoured people we be if in spite of all the rest of the Christendom that considers us to be rather crazy if we can see our title to such a position. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it, in its graciousness. The Apostle, in Philippians 2, the passage we had read, follows our Saviour's example. You remember that it speaks about our Saviour who emptied himself, as I told you the word literally is, emptied himself right down to the death of the cross. Well now he picks it up and he says um, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service I'd rejoice. Offered. Now you say how's that connected? Well the word means to be poured out as a drink offering. In the Old Testament the one who brought a sacrifice to the Lord could add a little bit like that of his own. Pour out a portion of wine. It's called a drink offering. It's the word used when David had said, "All oh, that I could have a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. And one or two of his soldiers, they risked their lives and brought it back and he said, oh, these are men's lives, I can't, I can't take it after all. And he poured it out before the Lord. That's what the Apostle said was his service. Christ emptied himself and the Apostle was following in his steps. He poured himself out. And he described himself as an earthen vessel. An earthen vessel. And the treasure was what he contained, not his own character. So far as we are concerned, we are very much interested in Paul's character. But he himself was always pointing away to the Christ that he served. So there we have that um, same thought. Well then, if you look at this second Timothy again, There's another little piece that I would like to to mention. He says in verse 20, but in a great house, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, but in a great house, there are not not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honour. Now our version says some to dishonour. That isn't true. Some to honour and some just ordinary, not dishonour. Now, we have one or two precious little things in our sitting room. Precious because of those who gave them to us. Precious because of what they're made of. And out in the other place where they cook the potatoes, they've got vessels there. But we don't bring those out and say, look at this saucepan. <laughs> or at least they do now. Sometimes there are saucepan saucepans who've <laughs> got more on than others. But you see, now here's the point. If a man therefore shall purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour. And what's the honour? Sanctified and meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. Meat for the Master's use. Now, I'm going to speak again personally. I suppose legally I possess all the utensils in our house. But I don't even know the number of them. And some I don't quite know what they're used for. But I've got one in my pocket. I brought it on purpose. I spoke about it, so I brought it. This is the one utensil in our house which is mine. And that is a vessel unto honour. Would you believe it, friends? For 35 years or more that has written every word that's been printed in all the books, all the volumes of the Brief Expositor, the whole ten volumes of the Alphabet and all written by that pen, and it's so co- collapsed, it's no good as a fountain pen. But I automatically dip when I'm thinking the meaning of word, it holds a lot. And as a, we told this afternoon, if I don't start writing, it'll start going, and it crashes down, now what are you going to do? It, it's, that's meat. Meat for the master's use. What an honor, friends, for you to be like that. Not merely generally so, but you're doing something that's been laid upon your conscience, and it's so directly unto him that he can be a vessel unto honour. So we have earthen vessels which have no real honour and yet we have vessels unto honour. And then we have the attitude of the apostle. You remember when he said he yielded not for an hour. On Wednesday evening, I was just looking at the epistle to the Galatians and say, let's have a correct view of this man because if you lift out He yielded not for an hour. He anathematized an angel who should preach any other gospel. And he swept aside the somebodies and somewhats and that was the apostles. Peter, James and John. He said, what a desperate man he must have been. Yet all the time he's stressing gentleness. And so we have these various ways in which service, ministry, is emphasised. I'll come back now to my Saviour. Greatest of all, as we said, Jesus knowing that he came from God and went to God, knowing that, he rose from supper, he took a towel, began to wash his disciples' feet. That's ministry, friends. And I cannot say to anyone here that I'm any better than they are, or they are any better than I am. Each one of us, if we're doing our bit, is doing it unto the Lord. I don't know whether Harry is here, is he tonight? Yes, Harry yes, is yes. Oh, well, you know, yes, when he yes, came here, I said to him, look, I said, you are not serving me. We are both serving the Lord. You wouldn't like to do my job? No, he said, and I said, I don't want to do yours. He looks after the chapel and keeps it clean. Don't you see, friends? That's ministry. The figure of a body with all the members doing their part. Each one part doing its share. And the joints and bands, which our Mr. Canning has mentioned, you know that comes in Colossians. Look at that for a moment as a, a similar way of expressing this question of ministry. <coughs> Chapter 2 of Colossians He's speaking about those who have departed very strongly away from the truth. And he says they're not holding the head. Not holding the head. We are all associated with the head. And I suppose with regard to our bodies themselves. Whether it be voluntary or involuntary. If the brain isn't acting, the digestion won't go on. If the brain isn't acting, you won't be able to speak. And so, hold the head from whom and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment minister. And that's where we come in. As we had in Ephesians. Joints of supply, as our brother Sherry pointed out. We don't originate the supply, but the supply comes through us. And we can hold up the supply to another one, as some of the members of our body do. So he says, Hold the head, and joints and bands, the joints and the bands that hold them together, having nourishment ministered, and knit together. Knit together. How marvellously the body is knit together. And so he says, increases with the increase of God. Oh, that's the increase we want, friends. We're glad to see numbers like this. We're glad to have names coming on our register and wishing to have our books. But all the increase that matters is not the numbers. It's not the bank balance. It's the increase of God. As the Apostle said from another occasion, on another occasion, Paul may plant, upon us may water, but it is God that giveth the increase. Or oh, may he give that increase. And may the increase be fruit that he is seeking and rejoicing to find. Now, I don't want to go on too long for my own sake or for yours. I just want to make sure there's not something that I ought to have brought before your notice. And if I've cover the ground that I had in mind, I think I will call a halt. I commend to you that which I started with, the thought that Christ is the Word and that the Word must be either spoken, written or acted. What an honour to any one of us if we can take this position that John the Baptist said. They came to him and said, what dost thou say of thyself? Well, what a chance for a man to be interviewed by the reporter of a big paper. What do you say of yourself? Oh, wouldn't he let himself go? John the Baptist said, oh, they said, art thou the Christ? No. What are you then? I'm a voice. Now, he didn't say the voice, as our version puts it. I'm a voice. If Christ is the Word, Let me be a voice. Now, in the same chapter of John's Gospel, it says that Christ was the light. And John the Baptist was not that light. And yet further on in John's Gospel, it says, John, he was the light. Oh, no, friend, No, not quite right. The word light in John 1 is the word for light, as we think of it in every day. But the word light in John 5 is a lamp So again, you see, if Christ is the word, all may be a voice. If Christ is the light, all may I be a lamp. And so you can go on with all the facets of Christ and all the possibilities that we may follow him. Now will you join us in your prayers so that those who have to carry the burden of this work because I'm getting to the end, you see, I don't know when I'm going to finish. I thought I was finished. Two years ago. But here I am, by the mercy of God. But I know this, that I'm not going to beat Methuselah, anyhow. And that would be, it would be impossible for anyone in my position not to be concerned, would it, as to the way this work is going. Oh, I have no doubts about anyone. I'm not saying that. But the pressure is going to grow. The difficulties are going to increase. And the possibilities of some creeping in Oh, I do pray that everybody concerned will watch that insidious thing. It's happened in this chapel. There was some person came in this chapel one Sunday morning and he started on me and I thought, oh, I know what's coming. And I have a disconcerting way of cutting right through and I said to him, you are leading up to the idea that I fall over you and say, oh, come and take my service next Sunday well, well yeah, no, um, I was. Yeah. I said, yes, I know. Now I said, look, friend, the pews in this chapel are as broad as redemption itself. But that pulpit's so narrow, I can hardly get into it. I said, you wouldn't be up there until we knew where you stood with regard to these things. So he walked out. I'm glad he did in that sense. But you see, there will always be the possibility of an insidious coming in so you friends who've got this work at heart, you've not got to be cruel. You haven't got to be pompous. I'll come back to the other word. You've just got to be faithful. You have had something committed to you. You have been entrusted with something. All may we stand by that, friend. Conscious that we're earthen vessels, but conscious we have a treasure in it. And the vessel is only used to pour out the treasure as Christ poured out himself, as Paul poured out himself. And then, writing elsewhere, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You say know, that's fanatical. Paul says that's your rational service. Not fanatical, rational. And he says in Philippians, that those who brought to him in his prison a little present from somebody, it was a sacrifice of a sweet-smelling savour, well-pleasing to God. It couldn't have been very much of a parcel, for he carried it all miles across country. All friends, don't look really upon sacrifice as something that has been done to take away your sins. It has, that's a stupendous one. But all ministry has got touched with sacrifice. Otherwise, it may not be genuine. I don't know whether we shall meet together again in this life. But, blessed be God, we have not the slightest doubt that everyone who belongs to Christ in this meeting this evening will meet one day when the no mores of the book of the Revelation will be written across all the aches and pains and sorrows and the tears will be washed away and the purpose of God will be then understood as not one of us understand it now. Or may God give us grace then to just go forward, trusting him, keeping close to his word, standing fast, holding fast, yielding not to pressure, but ever remembering. Not to be dogmatic, not to be bombastic, for we were sinners, saved by grace, as the Apostle reminds himself and reminds us. And however firm we may be, Let us do it as gently as we can. May the Lord grant unto us that we go away from these meetings rejoicing to think that we belong to the Lord in this glorious capacity as members of his body, looking forward one day to be with him and like him in that supernal glory and making up our mind that whatever he entrusts to us, we will at least look him in the face when that day comes and say, Lord, I wasn't very clever. I didn't produce very much. But at least in thy presence I can say I have been faithful. I believe that would be the most wonderful thing that our Saviour can hear from you, and is well done as a result of that, will be the most wonderful thing that you ever heard in this life, or possibly in the life to come.